Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Despite all of the commonality between the three of us, we continue to disagree. Pipeline Power Summit. The three leaders finally meet face-to-face, all saying they'll keep fighting for what they believe is right. I have never felt this much joy and, and gratitude in my life. Lost and found, the emotional reunion and the amazing twist to the tale of a stolen dog. And the earth moves in the West Kootenai, blocking a major highway. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, glad you could join us tonight. It was a meeting that was hastily called and highly anticipated. The premiers of BC and Alberta called to Ottawa on a Sunday morning by the Prime Minister to try to break the impasse over the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. But all remained firmly entrenched in their positions, with the federal government vowing to use legislation to force the project through. Grace Key begins our coverage. Even as we continue to work hard with Premiers Notley and Horgan to find solutions, we must recognize that they remain at an impasse. After a one hour and 40 minute meeting, all sides emerged with no resolution. So at the end of the day, we agreed that there may well be an opportunity for us to have officials address some of the gaps that we perceive to be in the Ocean Protection Plan. Uh, However, uh, we remain uh, committed to ensuring that we're protecting our jurisdiction in this regard. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ensuring the Trans Mountain Pipeline project will go through, adding the federal government is taking the financial and legislative steps to make sure it happens, though he provided few details. I have instructed the Minister of Finance to initiate formal financial discussions with Kinder Morgan the result of which will be to remove the uncertainty overhanging the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. We will not have these discussions in public, but construction will go ahead. The federal government, along with the government of Alberta, has commenced discussions with Kinder Morgan to establish a financial relationship that will eliminate investor risk. I'm quite confident that should these discussions uh, end successfully, that the pipeline will be built. Kinder Morgan released a statement saying, we do not intend to issue updates or further disclosure on the status of consultations until we've reached a sufficiently definitive agreement on or before May 31st that satisfies our objectives. But with court challenges and a constitutional reference, there's still plenty of uncertainty that won't be resolved by the deadline. I think that's why the federal government is turning to its spending power to ensure the project um, because they can't eliminate, they can't remove all obstacles by um, uh, by May 31st as Kinder Morgan has requested. And I, I don't think you know, Kinder Morgan knew that all along. These private negotiations with Kinder Morgan are expected to be held in the coming days. Grace Key, Global News. We are also hearing from other stakeholders on the controversial project, including the range of opinions among First Nations and those in the energy sector. Clearly, uh, British Columbia is, uh, has every intention on continuing the court actions and continuing to undertake whatever actions are necessary to defend the coast. 
they didn't invite the First Nations leadership of communities located directly on the proposed Kinder Morgan pipeline route. But, you know, they can do that if they hold some subsequent meetings to look closer at whether or not they can reach some sort of consensus. I hope they can. Now we're left with uh, still a longer process. You know, Kinder Morgan has come up with a statement uh, just recently to say that they're not going to be saying anything until either there's a clear agreement or it's May 31st, the deadline that they've imposed on their investment decision. So uh, there, there's really as much up in the air now as there was before today's meeting, in my opinion. Global's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry was up early today watching the latest developments. He joins us now. Keith, the summit is over. What's next? Well, it just keeps going. Uh, this fight is not over either way by a long shot. So tomorrow, Rachel Notley's government, it was all nice and, and polite in the room there today, but tomorrow, Notley's back at it. Her government's bringing in, uh, is expected to introduce Bill 12, which is the Preserving Canadian Prosperity Act. Uh, to put it another way, that's a bill that will give Alberta literally the power to turn off the taps and curtailing oil shipments to British Columbia. She's not going to use that right away. It's going to pass in a law, but she's going to put that in her back pocket at a date to be used at a date uh, subsequent in the future. And also, you saw Chief Stuart, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip there a short time ago. He's going to be holding a news conference tomorrow with uh, Burnaby Mayor Derek Corrigan, Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson, uh, uh, sort of revealing their next tactic in their ongoing fight against the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. So uh, the leaders came and went, uh, but the fight goes on from both sides. It's, uh, it's going to probably get a little ugly before uh, things calm down. Right. And Keith, after all this, uh, what is the status now of the NDP government's reference case? Yeah, John Horgan told us today on a call with BC Media that he expects the reference case uh, to be ready by the end of the month. This is the case that will establish whether or not BC has the power to uh, regulate the flow of bitumen in, in the province. Uh, Horgan is, and his minister, Environment Minister George Heyman, have acknowledged they don't have the legal ability to stop the actual pipeline itself, but he's going to go to court to see if they have the ability to basically decide how much bitumen flows through the pipeline or gets uh, transported onto uh, onto tankers. Now, interesting today, Justin Trudeau also announcing he's going to be bringing in legislation that will uh, strengthen his jurisdictional hold when it comes to pipelines. And that's probably a shot directly aimed at uh, Horgan's attempt to uh, have that reference case play out in court. So it's going to make an uphill struggle for BC even more steeper to accomplish. All right. Thank you, Keith. That is Keith Baldry for us in Victoria. Turning to other news now, and a mudslide in the West Kootenai today temporarily shut down a busy highway. Drivers on Highway 33, two kilometers north of Rock Creek, were suddenly stopped in their tracks after a wall of mud and debris crashed down during the noon hour. Crews have since managed to remove some of the debris, allowing the road to partially reopen. An assessment of the slide is underway and the traffic is expected to be affected overnight. But the news, still bad for travelers in the South Okanagan, hoping to use Highway 3A at Yellow Lake near Karameas. That stretch still remains closed tonight after a landslide early Friday morning. That's when the hillside suddenly let loose. Detours are available via Highway 3 and Highway 97. There is no estimated time of reopening. The next update is not expected until 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Family and friends of Parker Tobin gathered today to remember the goalie killed in last weekend's horrific bus crash. Mourners filed into Glen Hall Centennial Arena in Stony Plain, Alberta, this afternoon for Tobin's funeral. Tobin was one of 16 killed last Friday night after the Humboldt Broncos bus he was in collided with a truck. 
Tobin was at first believed to have survived the crash, but last week the Saskatchewan coroner's office said there was a mix-up with another player and Tobin had, in fact, been killed. And at a funeral in his hometown of Allen, Saskatchewan, Humboldt Broncos captain Logan Schatz was remembered as a kind, hard-working leader. Green and yellow drapes hung in the front of the stage at the local curling rink where the service was held. Jerseys with the number 20, Schatz's age, lined the front, along with bouquets of flowers. Schatz's parents wore his Broncos jerseys. Police in the Okanagan are asking for your help to solve a suspicious death. More than three weeks ago, a man's body was found on Myra Canyon Forest Service Road. Now RCMP are releasing photos of potential witnesses and pleading for them to come forward. The first results are back from the autopsy of a Peachland man. And police say the circumstances around his death are suspicious, although they won't say how he died. Alex Hegedus's body was found on a rural forest service road east of Kelowna, but police have now released surveillance photos of people walking around the Rutland neighborhood several kilometers away earlier in the day. The eight photos are quite grainy, but they do have some identifying features. They show people biking and walking, some with a dog, near Houghton Court and Neller Road between 10 and 11 in the morning of March 22nd, the day of Hegedus's death. RCMP say these people are potential witnesses and they're asking them to come forward. They say no detail is too small. We know that Hegedus was 54 years old and he was the owner-operator of a local business named Canadian Painters. He was last seen wearing white painter's pants and a white t-shirt with his company's logo on his left chest. Police believe he was driving a dark grey Ford pickup truck. In addition to the people in the photographs, RCMP are hoping to speak with anyone who missed a scheduled appointment or personal meeting with Hegedus, either on the day of his death or any time after. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A heartwarming ending tonight to a story from the interior that began with heartbreak. On Friday, a woman's truck was stolen with her dog still inside. The vehicle turned up, but the dog was still missing. As Kristen Robinson reports, what happened next will restore your faith in humanity. I never want to feel that way again. It was the worst 24 hours of my life. Hugging her best friend again, Natasha Holloway-Chuck recounts the ordeal that began outside this restaurant in Barrier, B.C. I knew something bad had happened, and I was terrified for my dog. On Friday, she left six-year-old Nexus in her truck while having lunch, planning to walk him after. But when she returned, her vehicle, with the English Bull Terrier inside, was gone. I feared for the worst. After plastering social media with photos, her truck was found hours later in Chilliwack without Nexus. His tracks are here, and he he would have been let out right here, and then he he would have squished his front paws in, but he's he's too big to turn, so he would have just tumbled down, and he he ended up down there. On Saturday, a clue on West Side Road. A friend of Natasha's and his son discovering Nexus trapped between the hill and a log below. Nexus saw us. And Nexus started barking from right there. The pair freed him and pushed him back up to the road. He's got a like a puncture wound on his rib cage. He had a, like a little like a stick had stuck right into his eye, and there was a little bit of blood there. I have never felt this much joy and and gratitude in my life. Natasha now spreading that love to an unlikely suspect, the young man she believes stole her truck but let her dog out before the wild ride. I don't wish him any harm because he didn't really do me any harm. The alleged thief, a former student of hers who fell through the cracks. He has 
goodness inside of him that I could see then. And people fall down. People fall off of their path. And all it takes is someone to care enough to listen for their calls for help and bring them back onto their path and bring them back to the people who love them. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A barbecue fire at a Vancouver condo sent a lot of smoke over the city today. Firefighters were called to the tower at 1188 Howe, that's the corner of Davie, around 1230 this afternoon. A barbecue tank went up in flames on a 28th floor balcony. When crews arrived, two propane tanks were burning with the flames spreading to the edge of the building and some bushes. The fire was out quickly and no one was hurt. Welcome back. Port Coquitlam's mayor is weighing in on a little-known city bylaw that bans filming at open council meetings without prior notice. While the mayor was away last month, Global News was kicked out of a Port Coquitlam council meeting for not giving advance notice. The city, which live streams council on its website, told us the 2015 bylaw would soon be clarified to make filming allowed as long as it doesn't block anybody's view. Earlier this week, we caught up with Greg Moore, who says he would never bar media from filming open council. We had some um, situations in committees where uh, individuals from the community were bringing out their iPhones and just sticking it in everybody's face around the table and not respecting the rules of core or of, of, of a committee meeting. And so those rules were brought into place because we had some challenges, nothing to do with the media. We did it for a specific reason and we didn't maybe think of the bigger picture. Uh, we're definitely not trying to cut out the media or anybody that wants to come to a Port Quillen Council meeting. The Vancouver Park Board was temporarily forced to backtrack on a proposal to implement seasonal pay parking at Spanish banks. Now the Park Board is considering another motion, one that would make it cheaper for Vancouver residents to park at local parks. Here's Tanya Beja. Plugging the meter is part of the routine if you're visiting Vancouver beaches and parks by car. I guess I paid six bucks for a couple hours. So like, yeah, like I think it said like three fifty an hour or something like that. It's a little pricey. Vancouver Park Board Chair Catherine Evans wants to give locals a break. She's pitching the idea of a discounted parking permit for the city's outdoor attractions. That way you could use Queen Elizabeth Park, Stanley Park, all the beaches, that kind of thing. And it would be particular to Vancouver residents who are living here already and paying taxes already. The discount could be offered on daily, weekend or seasonal passes. Evan says the goal is to improve access for residents who feel shut out. And that our parking fees were, were causing people to make decisions, like not to visit Stanley Park, for example. Costs are high everywhere and housing is expensive and property taxes are going up because of the housing problem. So why not give people a break to get them out? I don't think they should trip be charging at all. We pay enough money in our property taxes. Everybody needs access to parks, not uh, so I don't think you should be paying for them. <laughs> the Park Board already backtracked on a decision to introduce paid parking at Spanish banks following a public outcry, but fees elsewhere still necessary. Parking is an important part of park park board revenue because there's a lot of costs associated with operating our beaches. Evan's motion will be raised at Monday's park board meeting. She says if it passes, park goers could see discounted permits in time for summer. Tanya Beja, Global News. Hmm. That's going to be an interesting one. Hmm, yes, indeed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on now. Gash is here. Barry's here. Uh, beautiful day. 
It's been great nice. out there. Yeah. yeah, you know what? The timing of our weather systems this weekend has been impeccable. We enjoyed nice long breaks of the precipitation, uh, and it's mostly been through the evening hours that we've been seeing the precipitation move in, and that's going to be the case for tonight. It's pretty much on our doorsteps. Now, for the Okanagan, it's far more let's say uh, more of a serious situation because we do have a snowfall warning in effect for the Okanagan connector as well as uh, parts of the uh, Coquihalla as well. So I'm going to have details about that. A fair amount of snow set to move in tonight, lasting through the day tomorrow. So details coming up in your weather forecast. For the second straight day, people in southern Ontario are being walloped by an ice storm that's left more than 35,000 people without power. A mix of freezing rain and ice pellets has created horrendous road conditions, and city officials are telling citizens to be fully prepared. Major roads caked with snow and slush, but no plows in sight. The city says there's a strategic reason behind it all. If you plow all of that slush and all of that uh, frozen ice pellets onto the side of the road, um, it dramatically increases the chances that we would have a real flooding problem if we get heavy rains later on. With ice pellets, snow and sleet expected to change into rain, potential flooding could cause some real problems. Part of our interest is in making sure that the catch basins stay clear so that we, when we have flooding and additional rain that uh, happens later in the day and over tonight into tomorrow, that those catch basins can do their job. Now, transportation services, they have about 80 salters on the road, 30 of which are plow-enabled. Now, their priorities are tackling the expressways, followed by major arterial roads. In a regular winter season, they have approximately 600 plows and 200 salters, but most of the contracts ended April 1st. We definitely have fewer plows uh, than we uh, have at a full peak season in the winter time, but we, uh, even when we have access to uh, the number of uh, equipment that we have during our peak winter season, we don't always deploy them. We always right-size the amount of vehicles that we deploy. And when it comes to this unseasonal stretch of weather... We're comfortable with the level that we have uh, equipment out on the roads. As for flooding, over the next several days, the Office of Emergency Management says they're continuing to monitor the situation. Well, we are looking at out to Tuesday, to Wednesday, to Thursday, so that we're better prepared to understand how this thing might change. No one would thank us if we you know, plowed every little millimeter of snow off or sleet off the streets and then ended up causing a catastrophic flooding problem um, you know, tomorrow morning. As an alternative, Tory suggests this. So it's a good day to uh, watch some sports or watch something on Netflix or uh, talk to your family. Tonight, parts of western Oklahoma is on fire. A state of emergency has been declared in more than 50 counties. High temperatures, gusting winds and low humidity creating perfect conditions for the wildfires to spread. Seven people have been hurt. Two others have been killed, including a 61-year-old man trying to fight the flames in his backyard and a woman found in her burnt-out vehicle. Temperatures are expected to soar in the state this week, making a bad situation even worse. An out-of-control bushfire is also raging across parts of Sydney, Australia. High temperatures and high winds are fueling the flames. More than 500 firefighters are working around the clock to protect homes. It's now too dangerous to enforce evacuations, so residents are being told to seek shelter. The weather in the area has been unseasonably hot. Former U.S. First Lady Barbara Bush is said to be in failing health and won't accept any more medical treatment. Her family and doctors have decided to focus on comfort care for the 92-year-old wife of George H.W. Bush. No details on her current health problems have been released. 
She has been treated for decades for Graves' disease, which is a thyroid condition. Her 94-year-old husband also has had health issues in recent years, including pneumonia and chronic bronchitis. Now that the smoke from the strikes in Syria has cleared, the U.S. is moving ahead with the next phase of its plan. There is word tonight the Trump administration plans to impose new sanctions on Russia for supporting the Assad regime and its suspected use of chemical weapons. Bill Neely reports. The smoke has cleared on the U.S.-led airstrikes. The impact cleared too in new satellite images. President Trump repeated today the raid was perfect. This chemical research center certainly perfectly destroyed by 76 missiles. But Syria denies it produced or used poison gas. We developed medicines at this site, he says, especially to combat cancer. But a defector from Syria's chemical program says there are poison stocks in scattered warehouses. The airstrikes were limited, he says. Syria can still produce more and use them. The U.S. plans to punish Russian companies linked to Syria, as revealed on CBS Face the Nation. You will see that Russian uh, sanctions will be coming down. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin will be announcing those on Monday. Syria's president met visiting Russian lawmakers today. Russian troops now in control of the suburb where last week's gas attack killed dozens. The chemical inspectors who will investigate that now in Syria. The airstrikes came before their report. The U.S. threatening they'll be repeated if Assad strikes with gas again. Bill Neely, NBC News, Beirut. There is growing outrage aimed at Starbucks after two black men were arrested at one of its Philadelphia coffee shops. Yelling out, what did they do? They did nothing. Protesters swarmed at Starbucks today and another demonstration is being planned for tomorrow. Cell phone video shows multiple officers arresting the men who were quietly sitting at a table. Witnesses say the men asked for the bathroom code, but we're told the washrooms are for paying customers. Employees then called police to say the men who hadn't bought anything were trespassing. In short, these officers did absolutely nothing wrong. They followed policy, they did what they were supposed to do. Today, the CEO of Starbucks says he wants to apologize personally to the men who were arrested. Today marks five years since the Boston Marathon bombings. Families of the victims laid wreaths at the site of the blasts this morning as the city observed a moment of silence. Two bombs exploded near the finish line, killing three spectators and injuring more than 260 others. Security has been dramatically increased since the attack, and police say they are ready for tomorrow's race. We don't want to get complacent after what happened five years ago, and that's something we continually stress. Tomorrow will be the 122nd running of the iconic race. Calgary City Council is expected to vote tomorrow on whether or not it will move forward with an Olympic bid for 2026. As Global's Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, a grassroots city organization is gearing up for a fight to try to kill the Olympic bid if council doesn't do it first. Ask anyone who was around for the 1988 Olympics and they'll tell you it was a great time, but those who were in government are warning against comparing then with now. We had so much money from the oil revenue 
we didn't know what to do with it. Tom Singlinger is a member of the group called No Calgary Olympics. He's an economic analyst and was a Calgary MLA when the city was awarded the 88 Olympics. He says the cash isn't there now and the security costs are much higher. And he maintains Olympic host cities are proven to have little long-term economic benefit while their residents take on the risks. Olympic Games do not pay for themselves. We have to pay for them. It's the taxpayer that pays for them, Alberta, Calgary, and Canada for that matter. Councillor Jeff Davison will be voting to keep the bid alive and go ahead with a plebiscite. He says now is not the time to kill the bid, but rather let Bidco do its work. I'd like to see some hard numbers. I think we've played a little bit of uh, loose ball with this here, and we need to really buckle down and understand how we can hold this to a real budget. Political observers say there are still loads of unanswered questions surrounding the plebiscite, a vote that may not even happen if council pulls the plug on the Olympic question on Monday. What I find fascinating is that the councillors who had been demanding a plebiscite in the past are going to vote against the plebiscite in the hopes that they kill the, kill the Olympics bid. Olympians came forward in the city on Friday urging City Council to continue with the bid process, saying it would be short-sighted to stop at this point. Members of No Calgary Olympics are confident they already have enough data to prove the Olympics are a bad idea. We're very small. We don't have the reach of wind sport and gold medal athletes. Um, so we're, and it's no fun being the no side either. So we're, we've got an uphill battle ahead of us, but we're ready. If the bid process continues, October is the earliest a plebiscite would be held. Carolyn Curry, DeCastillo, Global News. A small commemoration today in Halifax to mark 106 years since the sinking of the Titanic. The Titanic Society of Atlantic Canada hosting the event to remember the lives lost during the ship's fateful maiden voyage. Some 1,500 passengers and crew members died on April 15, 1912, when the so-called unsinkable ship struck an iceberg and went down in the North Atlantic. 150 of those victims are buried in Halifax. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Bad weather is causing major headaches and damage in parts of Hawaii this weekend. People living on the island of Oahu cleaning up after heavy rain and strong wind caused flood damage. Homes are a muddy mess after a stream overflowed its banks, sending waves of mud and debris. A major highway was also shut down. Power was knocked out to thousands for several hours. Nothing like that here between that and Toronto Cash. I'd say we're doing pretty well this weekend. We're doing okay, but it's set to arrive very shortly, Jeff. Right. Good evening to you at home. We've been seeing beautiful weather for much of the day today. Some sunny breaks we even had and just some cloudy conditions. Sitting at 9, going down to an overnight low, about 6 degrees, and back up to 9 tomorrow on your Monday. This was tweeted me to, uh, to me a little bit earlier by Ted. He said the sun was almost blinding. You know, that's just a testament to how little sun shine that we have had in recent days. But the system is on its way. I'll show you that zoomed out picture in a second. But already seeing precipitation through parts of the Okanagan, Shuswap region, the Columbias as well, to the north where we do have a snowfall warning in effect, which I will, will show you as well. Meanwhile, a lot of energy stateside. These are all lightning strikes, recent lightning strikes. So I wouldn't be surprised if you did hear a rumble of thunder, see some lightning through the evening and the overnight hours as this pushes in, because that's just making a beeline for us. Now, here's how it all plays out, the overall plan. It does move in late night, so 
this impeccable timing, really. This was supposed to arrive a little bit earlier. It becomes heavy at times through the overnight hours, lasts through the day to, uh, on your Monday. You will notice a lot of purples there on your future cast. That's your snow at higher elevations, 1,000 meters or above. And that's where we are expecting a fair amount of snow. So the Okanagan connector has been looking like this for much of the day today. It's been great as far as driving conditions, but now we're expecting a lot of snow. So a snowfall warning in effect for the connector, 10 to 15 centimeters through tonight, more tomorrow, and also the Coquihalla Merritt to Kamloops picking up heaviest amounts, 10 to 15. Everybody else, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow. In any case, it's going to be messy. Monday, it continues. Highway 3 is now going to be a target. Paulson Summit to Kootenai Pass, as well as all major routes through, through the Okanagan, 10 to 15 centimeters of snow. So places like the Okanagan, by the time it's all said and done, by your Tuesday morning, we would have picked up about 30 centimeters of snow through this area. And meanwhile, I'd be remiss not to show you what's happening stateside. Look at all the energy associated with all that freezing rain happening in Ontario as well as Quebec. Plenty of warnings there. And essentially, so many people left without power. At last check, there was 35,000 people left without power. So, of course, we're going to keep you uh, up to date with that story and news. Meanwhile, to the far north, BC Peace, it's the South Peace River region that has a snowfall warning in effect, 15 to 25 centimeters of snow set to come to you, though for places like Fort St. John, it's about two to four centimeters of snow. White horse, a mix of sun and clouds, just a slight chance of a flurry on your Monday. Otherwise, a sun cloud mix, very nice. The north coast is also quite nice. Conditions begin to ter- deteriorate on your Tuesday into your Wednesday. Caribou in the central interior also looks quite nice. Just a slight chance of showers into the afternoon on your Monday. This is where we begin to see the showers move in through the evening and the overnight hours. Nelson will be picking up the showers, lasting through the day anywhere over the 1,000-meter mark. That's where we're going to be seeing the snow and heavy amounts, as I showed you. Tops in the Okanagan, also showers moving in through the overnight, lasting through the Monday. The overall plan for Whistler as well as the island. So tomorrow, let's get past tomorrow. Tuesday, we start to see an improvement in conditions. Have a look at your five-day outlook. Over to you, Jeff. Well, lots of winter left out there. Thanks, Kasia. Spring. Spring, Very spring. Sure. Well, winter like <laughs> conditions. How about all right? Uh, motivation, if you need it, for next Sunday's sun run is here. Check out a unique run in the Florida Keys. Aerial footage shows about 1,500 runners taking part in the 37th annual Seven Mile Bridge Run. It starts on the longest bridge in the Florida Keys and is the only known run that's surrounded by water from start to finish. It's one of the most popular running events in the U.S. Southeast. Around your province around your country, and around your world. Around the clock, we've got it covered. BC One, your 24-hour news channel. All right, Barry's here with sports and uh, hockey. Yes, from now, for, uh, we're going to have hockey highlights from now until June, okay. if it's okay with you. I, I'm all right with that. I, I happen to enjoy it. We've all adopted, well, I think most people, if you're adopting a Canadian team, it's the Jets. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, the Winnipeg Jets are certainly uh, Canada's best chance to end a 25-year Stanley Cup drought. The high-flying Jets have the second-best record in the entire NHL this year, just a couple points behind Nashville, and they've got all the pieces you need to win the Cup. They've got scoring, they've got toughness, goaltending, strong defense, and of all those uh, attributes, we're certainly all on display in a couple of dominant home ice wins over Minnesota. Tonight, though, the Jets hit the road for Game 3, looking to take a 3 nothing stranglehold. The Wild, meanwhile, second-best home record in the West, so just like the Jets, they are tough to beat on home ice. Got a little whiteout going in Minnesota there, too. First period, though, Jet power play. 
Blake Wheeler from the sharp angle catches Devin Dubnik off his post. 1-0 Jets. Wild, though, will answer on a power play of their own. They had a 5-on-3, didn't score, but Michael Granlund on the rebound. Ties it up 1-1, and then on another power play, the Wild move it around nicely. Zach Parise will redirect the Miko Koibu feed. 2-1 Wild after one. They outshot the Jets 13-7, their best period of the series. Second period, now 3-1, but the Jets get one back. Big Tyler Myers just blows one past Dubnik. Second of the series for Myers, 3-2. Jets carried the play, had a chance to tie, but Dubnik... Huge save here off Nick Ehlers from in tight. And that was a big difference maker because the Wild went wild late in the second. First, it's Eric Stahl squeezing one past Connor Hellbuck to make it 4-2. 20 seconds later, Jordan Greenway turns and fires. That made it 5-2 Wild. And they weren't done yet. Jared Spurgeon point shot going to deflect off Marcus Foligno in front. 6-2 Wild after two, and they're just kind of driving this one to the finish. About five minutes to play, 6-2 Wild in the third. Game three, Penguins and Flyers, a lopsided win apiece so far in this series. First period, Penn strike, Flyer turnover. Sidney Crosby, check out the quick hands to get the wraparound there. His fourth of the series already. 1-0 Pittsburgh after one. Second period, Pens will add to the lead. Phil Kessel, short little pass here to Derek Broussard, who wires it top shelf. That's a power play goal, 2-0. And then on another power play, this time, Gino Evgeny Malkin with the slapper on the one-timer. We've seen that a few hundred times over the years. 3-0 Pittsburgh. And then five seconds later, from the ensuing faceoff at center, Crosby sees something, pushes it, through the legs of Giroux, sets up Brian Dumoulin, and just like that, it's 4-0. Crosby, a three-point series, or three-point game, rather. He's been outstanding in the playoffs. Coming, looking for that three-peat, it looks like, is Sid the Kid. 5-1 the final. Pittsburgh now leads two games to one. And we've got game two, the Blue Jackets and the Capitals. Columbus won the opener in overtime. First period, though, just like in game one, the Caps get off to a good start. Brooks Orr picks the shot, tipped in by Jay Beagle dogged determination from Beagle. Fourth line goal for the Caps. They're up 1-0. Then on the power play, Alex Ovechkin with the ripper. He's got a good wrist shot, too. He's not a slap shot guy. 2-0 in game one. Uh, They had that lead as well and blew it. And right on cue, here come the Blue Jackets. Cam Atkinson gets it past Philip Grubauer. Just squeezes it past the outstretched skate there. 2-1 after one. Second period, cap power play. And it's O.V. Oh, yeah, 3-1. Classic one-timer off the feed from Nick Backstrom. 3-1 Capitals. But again, they can't hold the lead. Jackets made it 3-2, then they tie it. What a pass by Panarin to Atkinson, who goes roof daddy there. Great feed. Second of the night for Atkinson, 3-3. Caps took another bad penalty, and Zach Wierenski will find room from the point. That may have hit a... Capital defender on the way in, but it's another goal, 4-3 as they head to the third, and the Capitals are in big trouble again. All right, some soccer. Jose Mourinho and Manchester United entertaining West Brom. A win by United keeps Man City from celebrating the Premier League Championship for at least another match, but West Brom, who are dead last in the standings, who would have predicted this? Jay Rodriguez scoring here. 
And that was the only goal of the match. And United go down in an embarrassing home loss. What's worse, they hand the Premiership title to their rivals for Man City. Third Premier League championship in seven seasons for City. Still to come, four more NBA playoff series begin today, including LeBron James and the Cavaliers, who opened at home against Indiana. Highlights of that one when we come back. coming to BC Place. Luke will be on his What Makes You Country tour with special guest Sam Hunt along with John Party and Carly Pierce. Tickets at LiveNation.com. Kick off the golf season with a Golf Surrey Pass. You can golf one round plus 15% off subsequent rounds at four courses including Hazelmere, Northview, Morgan Creek and Peace Portal Golf Course. Pass is on sale now at GolfSurrey.ca. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Shell. Our BC is brought to you by Alpine Credits. Own your own home and need a loan? Get approved in less than 24 hours at alpinecredits.ca. Welcome back. Even though it's been an up and down year for the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're still considered the team to beat in the East for most who think they know basketball. The Cavs are the number four seed, although they did win 50 games during the regular season. And at age 33, LeBron James has been dominant as ever, Cleveland up against the Indiana Pacers in round one. LeBron James has not lost a first-round playoff game since 2012. 21 straight wins. Incredible streak. But the Pacers came out on fire. Victor Oladipo with the three-pointer. 23-8 Indiana. They kept the pedal down. Oladipo to Lance Stevenson with an angry jam. And it was 33-14 Indiana after one. Late in the half, Pacers keeping it going. Miles Turner with the three. Pacers shocking the Cavs, 55-38 at the half. Third quarter, expect the Cavs to make a run, and they do. In transition, LeBron out two. Kevin Love hits the three, draws the foul, missed the free throw, but the Cavs cut the lead to seven thanks to a 13-1 run. Fourth quarter, LeBron has got some strength, lays it in, makes it a seven-point game, but the Pacers bent but didn't break. In transition, former Gonzaga star DeMantis Sabonis with the emphatic jam. And then Oladipo with a long three. He had 32 points to lead the Pacers. 98-80 the final. And the Pacers halt the Cavs' first round win streak at 21. Bucks and Celtics. Boston the number two seed in the East, but without Kyrie Irving for the rest of the playoffs. Out with a knee. The tie game in the dying seconds. Terry Rozier, a little shake and bake, wide open three. Looks like Boston's got it. 99-96, a half second to go. But the Bucks get an inbound at half court. And would you believe Chris Middleton's prayer is answered. A 35-footer ties it at 99. But Boston controlled the overtime. Jason Tatum with the drive and tough finish. Celtics beat the Bucks 113-107 in overtime to take game one of their series. In the West, Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder. Second quarter, Russell Westbrook on the breakaway, throwing it down with some conviction. 54-48, Thunder at the half. Third quarter, Paul George is going to hit the long jumper at the buzzer. They've got some playmakers on this Thunder team. 31 points through three quarters for George. They led by nine, and then it's Westbrook to the big Kiwi, Stephen Adams. 116-108, the final. Oklahoma City wins their opener. 
Timberwolves and Rockets. Canadian Andrew Wiggins in his first ever NBA playoff game. Wiggins' fourth season in the league, 320-plus games. Gets his first playoff points there on the tip, and then he will hit the jumper in the first as well. Eight points for Wiggins in the first quarter. Updated score, 32-27 Houston. They are in the second. Golf now, final round of the RBC Heritage from Hilton Head, South Carolina. Englishman Ian Poulter has been rejuvenated of late. One just a couple of weeks ago, had the lead entering today, but fell apart on the back nine. Dunks his tee shot there in the par three. Five bogeys on the back for Poulter, finished tied for seventh. It ended up going to a playoff between Japan's Satoshi Kadera and Korea's Siwoo Kim. Third playoff hole, Kadera from 25 feet knocks in the birdie, so Kim has to match that to continue the playoff, but he is short, and Satoshi Kadera wins his first PGA Tour event. He's only played 15 tournaments on the PGA Tour. He has won six times on the Japanese Pro Tour. Uh, Pro Tour. And if you missed it, yesterday in Hawaii, Canada's Brooke Henderson won the Latte Championship in Oahu, 14th hole, third shot on the par five, pitches to within two and a half feet, made that for birdie. And then on the 16th hole, after a nice tee shot on the par three, Henderson knocks in another birdie. That pretty much seals the deal. And she will tap in on 18 for the win. Cards a three under 69, good for a four-shot victory. Her sixth career win, and she's still only uh, 20 years old. And afterwards, she dedicated her victory to the Humboldt Broncos. So, class act from Young Brooks. Absolutely. Thanks, Barry. Appreciate that. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we'll talk... What a very special, very super birthday. Stay with us. We've been making kids smile since 1945, and changing our name isn't going to change that. CKNW Orphans Fund is now CKNW Kids Fund, dedicated to enhancing the health and welfare of children in BC. All right, welcome back. We have a major milestone for a big superhero, Superman. That guy will be celebrating his 80th birthday this year. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! The Man of Steel is turning 80. With his debut Action Comics number 1 cover back in 1938, Superman was the first real comic book superhero. Would you like me to take a Uh, a look at it? Okay. Today, an original copy could fetch millions. DC Comics archivist Benjamin LeClaire oversees the company's vault, which houses some 80,000 rare comics, including decades' worth of Superman protecting Metropolis, teaming up with the Cape Crusader. This is the first ever cover of Superman and Batman together. Catching bad guys. Oh, and saving Lois Lane from various scrapes. There wouldn't be a comic book industry as we know it in America if not for this breakthrough character. So he didn't just build this house, he built comic books all over the world. Some featuring major heavyweights, like President John F. Kennedy helping Superman out by impersonating Clark Kent. I think he represents truth and justice. Publisher Jim Lee helped create the iconic cover for Action Comics' 1000th issue out this Wednesday. His secret power really is to elevate those around him. He makes people around him better. Mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, has evolved from comics to cartoons, TV, and the big screen. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, You've got me? Who's got you? And that suit... 
beloved by generations of everyday superheroes. He's battled Lex Luthor and survived kryptonite. And at the ripe old age of 80, Superman hasn't slowed down one bit. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Burbank, California. And just like Superman, Barry makes people around him better. <laughs> well, he never, I like that Superman is uh, still honest. Like he, does, he never made any money, according to the song. And uh, he just does it for justice. Just for justice. He really is one of the few <laughs> pure good people left on this planet. The Man of Steel. The Man of Steel. And we've got a little bit of time here, Kasia. Quick look at the forecast. All right. Rain moving in, especially through the overnight hours. Could even see a strike of uh, thunder, lightning rather. And uh, Monday, mostly showers for the morning hours, easing into the afternoon. A 60% risk of showers into the afternoon as well. Tuesday, it gets a little bit more calm and quiet for us. All right. Good Thanks flying for weather for Superman. Absolutely. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.